Well, today's scripture is a selection of readings from the book of Proverbs. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. From the fruit of his mouth a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hand comes back to him. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a, hard, a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this summer, we're doing our series on the book of Proverbs, and it's called uh, Wisdom for Living. And the reason that um, I chose this sermon series to do uh, this summer is that I think, um, if anything, this past you know, year plus has taught us uh, the necessity for wisdom, for knowing how to live well in situations that we weren't prepared for, when, when there's no clear-cut rules, when there is no playbook. You know, I think all of us have been kind of thrust into a situation where we're not sure exactly what it is we're supposed to do. And so the question then is, how do we respond? How do we live Christianly in the midst of all of this uncertainty, all of these new situations? And so we turn to the book of Proverbs because it, it's really the central um, text in Scripture uh, that's called wisdom literature, and it's indispensable. And its foremost lesson, if you read through the book of Proverbs, it, it begins really with this kind of... Uh, pay on this, this, this song, this elegy to just the value of wisdom itself. And, and keep in mind that this book, you know, it's the wisdom of Solomon, and so it's associated with kind of being a book for, for training up leaders, a young leader. And so it extols wisdom because Proverbs recognizes that for leaders, for people who are powerful, there's so many other things that they might want to pursue given their status and their position. They might want to pursue wealth. Uh, if you're Solomon, you might have wanted to pursue multiple marriages, which, you know, were really about political alliances, about kind of solidifying his position in the ancient world. But Proverbs says no. Wisdom itself is the one thing worth pursuing above all, above all others. And then you get on in, in the book of Proverbs to um, aphorisms and maxims and, and little principles that are these general reflections on how we ought to live, but also how we ought not to live as well. There's the wise person, there's the righteous person, and then there's also the fool and the wicked. And Proverbs is actually 
the closest thing that we have in the Bible to, that comes kind of approximates what we would call science. Now, that's not what Scripture is about, but, but it is a reflection on the patterns of life. It's an attempt to discern the moral order embedded within creation by God. And so in that way, it, it assumes order. It assumes intelligibility and, and openness to reflection and examination and questioning and discovery. And, the, and those things, those, those are the very principles, the foundational principles of modern science itself. And so I think it's no accident then that, that science itself is one of the uh, great gifts that, that Christendom has bequeathed to the world. But that's another subject for another day. And so the number one theme, as I said in the book of Proverbs, is just wisdom itself is awesome. Proverbs wants to kind of ring that bell over and over and over again. But besides that, when we're getting to the little aphorisms and, and little axioms and principles, what Proverbs talks about, uh, second most to the value of wisdom, the pricelessness of wisdoms, is, is it speaks so often about the power of words speech and the importance of using them well and the danger of using them foolishly. Now there's that old schoolyard rhyme we've all heard, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And we know what the kind of message is behind it. If you're saying that, you're basically saying like, you're not going to bother me. I'm not going to let what you're saying get to me. So your insults, your taunts, your trash talking, you know, I'm rubber, you are glue, that whole situation, right? But the problem with the schoolyard rhyme, and I appreciate the sentiment. I do. I really appreciate the sentiment. But it's just not true. Any of us who have lived long, long enough know that... Uh, People's words do hurt. They wound. And yes, they cannot leave, you know, physical scars on our bodies. But, but they do leave invisible marks that are just as real. And sometimes the blows they strike to our spirits, they're just as, if not even more painful than a physical blow. Words matter so much. Because it's words that create worlds. The Bible begins with words. I mean, you know, literally, yes, that's true. Without, like, the existence of language and words, we would not have the Bible. But, but, but also starts, the story really starts, it really gets going with a divine word. You know, we get to verse 3, and God's already speaking. God says, let there be light. Fiat lux. And there's light. You know, Genesis just as easily could have been narrated, you know, that it's uh, in the beginning, uh, you know, it was formless and void, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the deep, and then God saw that, and so God made light, and then God made the sun, moon, and stars, and then God made plants and animals, and then God made people. That would have kind of conveyed the same information. It would have told the same story, but instead what we see, that God is a God of words, of speech, that, that speech creates, that speech gives life, that speech is powerful. We know it is. We know speech is powerful. We, we say things like, I love you. I hate you. You know, I'm officiating weddings. I get to say, I now pronounce you husband and wife. But there's other powerful speech that's destructive. I, I'm leaving you. I'm pregnant. That's powerful speech. I'm not going to make it. 
And so words and speech, those are integral to our humanity, integral to what it means to be an image bearer of God, to, to, to bear the divine image and likeness. And Proverbs says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. That's how powerful words are. And that's no hyperbole. No, of course, we could say, well, yeah, literally, you can uh, use speech to pronounce a death sentence or, or to, uh, you know, extend clemency. But that, that's not the most, you know, kind of literalistic interpretation isn't the sense of life and death that Proverbs is talking about. And so first, I just, I want to look at what, what is behind the power of words according to Proverbs. And then what's the nature of, of words that give life in contradistinction to words that bring death? And then lastly, let's say, what, you know, what do we do when our words fail us? So first, what is it about words that give them this, this power that Proverbs talks about? The power of life and death. And uh, in, in kind of this next section of the sermon and throughout, I'm really heavily indebted to the wonderful commentary by a, a British, a late great British Old Testament scholar named uh, Derek Kidner. And he wrote this kind of wonderful summary of the power of words in the Proverbs. And the first thing that gives words their power is their ability to penetrate deep within us, to resist our defenses. And so in our scripture this morning, it, it talks about speech being like sword thrusts. And you know, we can defend ourselves from a physical attack, but unless our fingers are in our ears, we cannot defend ourselves against what people say. There's no defending that. It, it, it just comes in. We can't help but hear it. We can't protect ourselves from our own words even, right? Not just the words of other people, but our own words, our own running inner monologue. And, you know, Proverbs talks about the kind of words that build up versus the kind of words that tear down, the kinds that, that, that promote peace and, and comedy and those that destroy relationships. And so words can do that. They, they get past our defenses. And so that's why we need to be so careful with what we say and with who it is that we're listening to. Because we've all had that person say, you know, something that hurt us. And, and that their words, that, that they penetrated in the worst possible way. But we've also had that person who has spoken a word to us that was affirming that was life-giving, that was decisive, really, in, in, sometimes in setting the trajectory for the rest of our lives. Someone who's seen something in us, who's called something out in us, who told us that they believe in us, or, or they've challenged us, and, and, and they've called out the best in us. I think of in my own life, uh, someone who some of you know, uh, late, the late, great Darby McDonald. Um, you know, he was, uh, he was uh, an elder here uh, at Aldrich, and, and he, you know, when I was just getting out of college, kind of sat me down for a, a very decisive lunch at Pepito's on Chicago, I think on 48th and Chicago. Is that still open? God, God rest Pepito's. That was a great, Darby loved Pepito's because he loved yeah, the buffet, you know, so, uh, so Darby and I sat down for the buffet, and it was a favorite place of Darby, and I was 22 years old. I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. Uh, ooh, I thought maybe I wanted to be a lawyer. I mean, God bless you, Nate. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, I chose, I, ch I, chose a, I chose a better path for myself. But I'm glad you, we need, we need good people in the law. But uh, uh, that was not the path for me. And so he just sat me down. He just kind of like called out all these things he had seen in me. 
and kind of that was really what I marked as sort of the decisive point in my life in the call to ministry. Just someone speaking a word of life into you, penetrating inside of me in the best possible way. But Proverbs, so Proverbs talks about the power of words is that they can penetrate us, they get within us. But they also spread. And so Proverbs talks about, you know, words spreading like fire, or, 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 or that's a kind of a negative image. And the more positive image is words being like a tree of life, so that they spread like the branches of a life-giving, fruit-bearing tree. And, and we know this, that once our words are out into the world, they have this ability to, to go viral, to take on a life of their own. And so words are powerful because they spread. You know, what is kind of social media, if not a technology that encourages the spread of words all over the world? That is, you know, algorithmically seeking to prod and poke us into to sharing our thoughts and reacting to the thoughts, opinions, jokes, rants, memes of others until that, you know, magic one in a billion moment happens where our words spread and spread and spread because they've captured the attention of the masses. And most likely they've done that by capturing their outrage. So that's the nature of the power of words. That they get into us and then they get out into the world. But what are the marks? What, what are the marks of, of those words of wise speech, of speech that has the power of life? In distinction to those words, that speech that has the power of death. And so in setting up this simple contrast, we, 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 we really see the biblical marks of wise speech. And so the first mark that we see is that wise speech is truthful. It's honest, straightforward, rather than deceptive. And, and, and in the reading this morning, um, you saw Matt reading, and, and, and a lot of times it talked about, the, you know, the wicked, their speech is perverse. And that word in Hebrew, it really means crooked. So you have like this kind of, you know, we can see kind of crooked speech. It's branching off in all of these different directions. And, and honest speech is just straightforward. And so truthful speech is wise. Because when we tell the truth, what we're doing is we're helping to give other people a, a true picture of reality. And that's something that we don't just owe to ourselves, but we owe to our neighbors. And honesty and truthfulness, of course, they've always been vital, always been important. But when, you, when we think of, the, consider kind of the, the speech that it's talking about in the Old Testament, you know, one of the reasons that honest speech was so important is that if you were in a dispute or you were in a court case, you know, the only evidence you had was testimony. There was no like forensic evidence that you could bring if there was a dispute. I mean, I suppose you could bring like a dead ox and, whole, you know, bring it up in front of people. But you relied on the honesty of the testimony of the people to give an idea of what actually happened. And so we owe this world the truth as we see it. And we recognize, yes, that we as individuals, we don't, we're not kind of at this Olympian point. We, we don't have a, you know, God's eye view of the world. We know that, yes, we bring our own biases and our backgrounds and our cultural lenses. But we, but we believe that together, together we are really part of this great universal, even civilizational project to seek and to speak the truth as best as we can discern it. Jesus says in John's gospel, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And so it's so important that we're able to speak the truth and share the truth and discern the truth, because we know that without the truth, we're lost. 
And that's why we value honest people so much. People who tell it like it is. That's what's so powerful about that. Because we're so used to hearing speech that is not straightforward. That is deceptive. That is meant to obscure more than to reveal. And so we value people who, who will just name reality for, for what it really is and not what they or what we might want it to be. And so, wise speech is truthful. And closely related to this, though, is that wise words are fitting, not ill-timed or out of place. Because you can sort of be a truth teller, uh, but not do it in the right way or at the right time. And so that's why wise speech, it's, it's apt. It's judicious. It's, it's in place. And so Proverbs talks about wise speech being judicious. It says, a word aptly spoken is like a golden apple in a silver setting. And so there it's talking about like a beautiful piece of jewelry. It's set just right, just so. Because it's not enough to speak honestly. It's about knowing when to speak honestly. It's about saying the right thing, the right way, at the right time, to the right person. And so unwise speech, it tramples over any sense of decorum and propriety. And so, yeah, if we need to have hard conversations, we got to be wise and think, well, what's the, the best way to say this? What's the right time to bring this up? You know, I think of an example of ill-timed speech in my own life, but also some really apt speech as well. So uh, the paramount example for me is uh, when our youngest son, Gregory, was born very early, was in the hospital, and, and I'll never forget how there were some very powerful apt words that were spoken to us. Because, you know, when someone's facing, a family's facing a tragedy, when you're facing it too, the question is always, well, what do I say to a person in that situation? And we know, you know, not much. But afterwards in those situations are, we love you. We're praying for you. Let me bring you a meal. Let me bring you a bottle of scotch. Those were very apt words in that moment. But inapt speech, this is the, the paramount example of inapt speech I've ever heard in my life was, I don't know if I've shared this before, maybe I have, but I had one conversation with a local barber. I won't get any more specific than that. A local barber. I told, you know, I was just, I'm like a week in, and, and you're just like, I wanted to get a haircut, you know? I was, try, I was trying to take care of myself in the midst of all this, and so I went to get a haircut, and I sat down, and kind of t- I, I, I'd seen him before, and I told him the story, and this is very early on. It's like a weekend, and I'm like, you know, the doctor says it's going to be a roller coaster ride, and in a couple months, we'll kind of know how things are supposed to work out. And, you know, so we're just kind of hanging in there. And then he, and I said that to him, and he goes, oh, no, no, you'll know, like, within a month how things are going to turn out. No, it's not going to take two months. And the way he said it in that moment, when, and my haircut wasn't finished. I just wanted to get up and walk out. But it just had this know-it-all tone. And all I was looking for in that moment, besides, yes, a trim of my hair, I was looking for that, but I was looking for some empathy from someone. And so if you're a barber, if you're a bartender, if you're a pastor even, right, that's just part of your job, right? You listen to people. And so wise words are truthful, but they're fitting. They're at the right time, right place, right person, right way. And and thirdly, it says that they're gentle and not harsh. Proverbs says, a soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. And it says, With patience a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. Gentle speech is wise because it's gentle speech that's 
persuasive. And that's something that we can forget. You know, we think that strong speech is going to be challenging someone. It's going to be direct. It's going to be sort of telling someone like it is. But gentle speech isn't, you know, ironically, it's not weak. It's actually one of the strongest weapons that we have in our arsenal. I mean, just think, have you ever been persuaded by someone who was verbally bullying you or berating you? Treating you with contempt, treating you with derision? No. All that does is make you further entrenched in your position, even if that person might be right. Because if you give any credence to what that person is saying to you, you're basically admitting that it's okay to be a jerk to you. And so you will just harden your position. And being gentle, it's not about being agreeable. But it does mean, I think, seeing the humanity and the dignity of the person with whom you you are maybe having a, a disagreement or some kind of disputation. And so these gentle words, they persuade because as soon as you get harsh, like the walls go up, the force field goes up, the ears fill. And so these gentle words, they persuade. Harsh words, they dissuade. Gentle words, they foster relationship, which can lead to unity. And harsh words, they only serve the interests of further division. Only the gentle can persuade. And as Christians, one of the things we're in is the business of persuasion. That's apologetics. That's defending. That's part of defending the reasonableness of the Christian faith is someone's got to be able to hear you. And I've heard the uh, task of apologetics defined this way, that first, you have to kind of convince someone that Christianity isn't stupid. And second, you make them want to believe that it's true. And lastly, you show them why it is. And so if you're just spewing out harsh words, you don't make anyone want to believe what you're saying is true. Just the opposite, in fact. They want it to be false because they think you're mean, and we all want mean people to be wrong. And so the key is to be winsome, because in that way, wait for it, you might win some. Uh, you'll never forget that one. That's, that's, that's gold. That's fitting. That's speech. Powerful. There we go. Sorry. I know that is a little bit eye roll, but I like it. Win some to win some. There we go. Thank you. All right. So it's wise faith is truthful. It's fitting. It's gentle. And the final mark we see here is that it is economical, not profligate. Our scripture says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. It's like the wonderful old saying, Mark Twain didn't say it, but let's pretend he did. It's attributed to him, probably Abraham Lincoln, everyone. Uh, It is better to be silent, remain silent, and be thought a fool than to begin speaking and to remove all doubt. (laughs) All right? I like that one. And, and, And I truly think one of the great temptations of our social media age is to say too much about too many things. Right? There's this pressure for all of us to become amateur pundits to be part of the discourse, right? We all got to have a take on everything. And not only do we have to have a take on everything, but we should share that take with the world. That's an utter curse. It's really a fool's game, I think. It's, It's completely a fool's game. And the truth about fool's games is this. When you play stupid games, the only thing that you can win are stupid prizes. You know, let's take an example from this past week. Um, 
So Simone Biles, she drops out of the Olympics. Who cares what I think about that? No, I think it's actually like a, a, you could have a good conversation with someone about that situation. In fact, Pastor Matt Anderson and myself, we had a really nice conversation about that before the service, right? Where we talked about the different aspects of it. But, but like, is that something that I need to share uh, with the world and get an argument about with, with the world? Or should everyone in the world know the thoughts that are going on inside my head about everything? No. No. On Facebook, the little box says, Dave, what's on your mind? That's what it says. It says, what's on your mind? And here's the truth. Just because the box is there and it's blank and it's asking me the question doesn't mean I need to fill it out. And once we realize that, once we embrace that, we're liberated. It's like a superpower. In fact, I think it's one of the great temptations and problems and curses of our age is this oversharing over-speaking tendency. It's a source of great folly. And the problem with speaking too much isn't just that we reveal our ignorance or our folly, though that is definitely a side effect. It's the one thing that when we speak too much, it keeps us from listening. Proverbs says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and his shame. And so listening is one of the most important aspects of speaking. If someone doesn't listen to you, You don't want to hear what they have to say. That's just true. And so, to sum it all up, speech is powerful because it penetrates and it spreads. And so we need to be careful and wise with what we say and how we say it and who we listen to. And the marks of wise speech are truthfulness, fittedness, gentleness, and economicalness. There was no, I don't know if that's a word, but economicalness. We we don't say too much. We say what we have to say in a spirit of gentleness. We say it at the right time, and we try to be as honest as we can. And I think an acronym that kind of captures the spirit of this, it comes from one of my favorite pastors, this guy. You may have heard of him. His name is Nicky Gumbel. He's a British pastor. He's the pastor of Holy Trinity Brompton. He developed the Alpha Course, and he has one of my favorites is the Bible in One Year app, uh, which I highly recommend for his own commentary. And then his wife, Pippa, gives little comments at the end, and hers are actually usually... Uh, my favorite. But, but he has this um, rule as he's doing a commentary, kind of his little comments on the whole Bible through one year. A couple of times he brings up this acronym for wise speech, and it's THINK. So just, he says, these are questions to ask before you say something. The T, and it fits really with what we're, we're seeing here in Proverbs about wise speech. T, is it truthful? Important question to ask. If what, is what I'm about to say truthful? H, is it helpful? Is this, is, is this kind of fit to the needs of the situation? H, is it helpful? The I, and the problem with most acronyms is sometimes you got a letter that doesn't exactly fit too well. But I think, and this doesn't exactly fit with Proverbs, it may be a bit of a stretch for Nikki, but I think it's good. Is it inspiring? Now, I don't think everything we say to someone has to inspire them, but I get the spirit behind it. It's saying, is this kind of building someone up? Is this pointing them towards uh, the greater good, towards God? Is it inspiring? And is it necessary? So that's that economicalness of words. Do I really need to say something about this right now? And K, is it kind? Is it gentle? So it's a good acronym. Before we got to say something, think. But what do we do with the fact that, you know, here, this sounds like a great picture of wonderful speech. And then we know that all of us, we engage in all sorts of speech that ain't passing the old think test, you know? That, that, that we spread untruths, that we swing around, you know, verbal sticks, and we're throwing verbal stones all the time. 
And so the, I think the answer, and, and ultimately what this brings us to, is that the fallibility of our words, it, it, the solution to that is, is the word. And I'm not talking here about the Bible, but the word of God. In John's gospel it says, in the beginning was the word. And he's talking about Jesus. And so God creates everything in Genesis with his word. But it's the word of God, Jesus Christ, who redeems the mess that we've made of this world, largely through our words. And you know, Jesus is the perfect example of wise speech, a powerful speech. You know, Jesus' words, they sowed truth into a world that was addicted to lies. And he always knew just the right thing to say at the right time to the right person including his very last words, up into including his very last words, you know, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he spoke gently to those who were broken in spirit, to those who believed maybe not only that they were done with God, but that God was done with them. And he listened. And he spoke only when necessary. You know, we have, you know, and honestly, I wish that the Gospels were longer, that they had written down more of what Jesus had to say, that we had whole libraries filled with that, but that what we have is all that we need. And through Scripture, in the power of the Holy Spirit, he's still speaking life and inviting us to speak life as well. And so the truth of the matter, the last thing I have to say at the end of the day is this, that, that though our words will fail us, you know, his word, the word won't. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.